Uh, yesterday was a good day. I thought we had an awesome time. Did you all have a good time? Amen. Um, what I noticed, though, and I want to say this, is that some of the uh, young adults, some of you guys, the teenagers, I noticed you guys were a little shy yesterday. And uh, I think I know why. And I'm going to tell you why I think some of you were shy. Because when you went out to Ohio Park, you know, that's the hood, you know. You don't really know those people, and most of you work with the children. When you go out to Portage Park, you hide behind the hot dogs and all of those other things. Now you are in the heart of all your gente. You are around all of your friends. These are all of your peers. These are the guys and ladies that sit at the lunch table and look cooler than you. They have nicer clothes than you. They got, they're prettier than you. And now you're getting embarrassed. I noticed that. Now some of you are getting shy. Because now you're seeing all of these cool guys, these upperclassmen. And you're seeing how good looking they are. You're seeing how well dressed they are. You're seeing how much fun they're having. And some of you would have been out there, let's be honest, if we weren't doing this, you'd be out there right now. And many of you, even though you wouldn't say it, but you might say in your heart, I may not say it out loud, but you'll say it in your heart, that you're jealous of some of them. That you want what they have. And I want to tell you, that needs to be broken. You need to let that break. Because now we do not witness by, like, who's the coolest, who's the most well-dressed. You know, when they come into church, you know, you guys don't really have clicks, but it can be kind of easy because, you know, you're popular here, you know. So you're going to tell them about Jesus. You know, they came to service, you know. You're walking around with a big bunch of people in the neighborhood. But now... They outnumber you. And so what I want to say to all the teenagers is don't let them intimidate you. Don't let them wrongly influence you. You be the leader for God now. You preach the gospel that Jesus gave you. Amen? Ricky and Rachel, will you guys just kind of cock your chairs to the side here, kind of like we do for crossover, please, so I can get a good look at you. And I want you now to be released in boldness. I don't want any of you to be shy. None of you to let us do all the talking. I do have a praise report that Papo got the most radical young adult teenager of last night's outreach. Let's give it a hand clap for this guy. And I heard, brother, that you were witnessing to everybody and anything that moved. And, brother, I heard that it didn't, you didn't care. And, and I'm proud of you. And that's what I want to see from you. And that's what I want to see from Mike, Reuben, and Gilbert, who were in our group, who were shy, for whatever reason. I'm not saying that reason applies to you necessarily. And then for everybody else, Danny, Mike, David, and even some of you guys that are coming out here now for the first time, Lilani, and even some of you older guys like Gilbert, I mean, uh, Eddie Berto and Jaron, I want to see great boldness in your life. Okay, ladies? I want to see boldness. This shy stuff is not going to work. Okay? This is not charity ministry. This is not just you giving clothes to the poor and the homeless. Like I said, all of, most of them are going to be better dressed than all of us because this is where they show it off. Okay? They're going to show it off. And so you're, you're going to look dumb. 
you say, oh, I'll never look dumb, Pastor, then you haven't met the right people yet because they're going to persecute you. They're going to try to make you feel stupid. Okay? And people are going to try to call you names and these different things. And you've got to understand that this is not going to be the type of feel-good ministry that you may get from volunteering at the soup kitchen. Okay? This is the ministry where we now suffer the reproach of Jesus Christ. This is now where we are shamed for his name. This is now where people say things about us because they think we're dorks and they think we're nerds and all of that. Amen? Now tonight we're going to, Lord willing, weather holds up, we're going to do our youth service and a campagna out there. That is going to be a crusade. And after I do this short lesson, well, I shouldn't say short. I don't want to lie. Amen. After I do this lesson, we're going to have lunch, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to get all the practical details on how to go out today and do the campagna, how to do the crusade, how to go out and preach the gospel the way we're going to do it. And I'm expecting you guys to be bold. Now, all of our adults and family, I just, you know, want to encourage you to keep going for God. Okay? And I thank those of you who are here today. And I don't want you to get discouraged if you don't see enough of the adults here. Listen to me. The ones that couldn't make it here disobeyed their pastor. They disobeyed me. All the ones in the 201 class are going to be in trouble. Just trust me. It's okay. It's over. Just don't think about it now. You're here. Let's do it. Amen? This church was built upon my wife and I's vision from the Lord Jesus Christ. We decided to do it by ourselves. My wife only gets one week vacation. One week. One week every six months. She used three of the days for this trip. Three of the days. That's how important it is to her. I want you to understand, those of you who have made a commitment to be here, those of you who are making sacrifices, God will bless you. And for the others, let me take care of them and let the Lord take care of them. Amen? Okay, let us now open up our Bibles to the Scripture that will appear on the magical screen once I go back there and I get it hooked up. Everybody's got Bibles, pens, and notebooks? Amen. All righty. Will it work now? Oh, as a matter of fact, you know what? Let's all stand to our feet. Rachel, come to the keyboard. I forgot to take up our uh, offering for today. Everyone stand up, please. Prepare to give. We are going to do that every day by faith, believing that the bills will be paid. As much as you can give is as, as much as the Lord will bless you. Let me get you on here. Hallelujah. Father God, as we give to you, Father Lord, to this outreach, to the things that you care about, we pray, Father God, that you will bless us. That, God, you will not only take the dead away, Father God, from the church from doing such an outreach, but, Lord, as we give, you will clear the debts of our lives. God, as we sacrifice to give to you, God, we call upon your sacrifice that you gave to us, the blood for the cross, to now provide us with all things that we need. In the name of Jesus, amen. Won't you come right now? Just sing a song, Rachel, from your heart to the Lord as people come and give whatever they have to give to the Lord today. Amen. (laughs) Might help if the mic was on. That's okay. Thank you, Lord. We bless you today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. What you give is between you and the Lord, and the church puts it towards this outreach. Amen.
Can you give a hand clap to Rachel for doing such a good job this week? Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Now open up uh, your Bibles with me now to Mark chapter 12. Even though it's on the screen, I want you to turn there with me so you can see it for yourself. <clears throat> It's always a good thing to bring your Bible to an outreach, just to let you know for next time. Okay, guys? It's always a good thing. Never go wrong like that. It's always a good thing to bring your Bible to church, too. Yeah. Um, today, what I want to talk about is part of our vision. Our vision is loving God and loving... Okay, let's say it again. Loving God and loving... Amen. And so what we want to talk today about is loving people. Yesterday, uh, his message is on the internet. If you missed it, you can check it out. And it was, go, and now it's your turn. Go and preach the gospel. That's what it was about. And how we need to preach with, with the, the message of Jesus. We need to preach with the power of Jesus. And we can't let things get in the way. We have to stand strong in that message. And we talked about how people can get, uh, and while we're preaching, there can be distractions. And there can come up things that they want to talk about. We're not going to get on those things. And now today what I want to talk about is us loving people, us actually going out of our way to love them. The Bible says that we are even to love our enemies so that we are not to just say like, hey, I love Ricky. This is my golf buddy right here, man. I love him. He's cool. No, the Bible says I'm to love even my enemies. So if you're in Mark, can you say that I'm there? Mark 1230 through 31 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Now do you understand why this is the vision of our church? The vision of our church is loving God and loving who? Now Jesus said these were the two greatest commandments, did he not? What did he say was the first greatest commandment? Loving who? Okay, now for this to be a shorter message than what it's going to be, I'm going to need you guys to speak up, okay? So I don't have to have you keep repeating yourself. The first greatest commandment is what? Amen. And what's the second part? There you go. Now that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to learn about the Good Samaritan. Now please take notes. Write these scriptures down. Learn from these throughout the week. Learn through these for the rest of your life. You know how many times I've read these scriptures? I mean, come on, guys. I've been doing this for 13 years. Do you know how many times I've read these? Do you know how many times I have pondered these ideas? But yet every time I get something new, I guarantee you, I'll get something new out of it right now. Even as I'm teaching you, I'm going to get something new out of it. Because that's how powerful these words are. What we're going to learn now is the famous story in the Bible called the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan person is a... Uh, interracial person. A Samaritan is half Jewish and half Greek. Okay? Now, the Jewish people look down on Samaritans. Just like sometimes people in America look down upon people who are mixed of different cultures. You know? Sometimes people look down on you because of your race. Well, when Jesus got to this story, he purposely picked out a Samaritan the most hated person of the Jews to make his example. If you wanted to put this in slave days, this would be the good Negro. If I was talking to slave owners and plantation owners, and I wanted to teach them how to live, I would say that. 
for maybe you today, I would say the good KKK member. You see, the moment I say good and KKK doesn't even make sense to you. Well, that's what he was trying to convey by telling them the, the, the main character here is a Samaritan. Most of you probably never even knew that. The very fact that Jesus chose the main character to be a Samaritan just tore apart every racial idea they had. Are you all listening? Are you with me in Luke chapter 10? Say, I'm there. Starting in verse 25. Look at what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, every part of this verse, I'm going to stop and teach you a little bit here. The first thing that brought this question about was impure motives. This Jewish leader wants to try to trick Jesus into being, uh, telling him that it's okay to be a racist. Jesus is going to tell him in his heart what's there. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A lot of people want to know what they have to do to go to heaven. And you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to go right to the sin of their life. He's going to go right to the things that they're hiding. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 3, said, no one can do these things unless they come from God, Jesus didn't even really pay attention to his compliment. He went right to the point, Nicodemus, you're not going to uh, see the kingdom of God unless you're what? Born again. Amen. And right here, as you watch this with Jesus, you're going to learn how Jesus preached. So you're going to learn two things right here. The first thing is, is how Jesus actually preached to people. Jesus went right to their heart. Let me give you an example of this. Last night, I'm preaching on the street to, at uh, Belmont and Clark to this uh, gentleman. His name is Nick. He tells me his name is Nick. And we begin to start talking, and I'm teaching him about Jesus. And he says no matter how hard he's tried, he's never felt God. And, you know, it doesn't work for him, et cetera, et cetera. So finally, you know, I convince him through the gospel and through Jesus that if he prays today, he can feel Jesus. And so we get to the time of prayer. And uh, while we're praying, you know, I'm feeling Jesus, but I know he's not. And I get these two words in my heart the moment I start praying for him. Deception and guilt. Deception and guilt. Now, since we were in an all-gay community, I thought that that meant that maybe he was gay. <laughs> so when we got done praying, I said, Brother, uh, are you struggling with homosexuality? And for about the next three minutes, I had to apologize to him because he wasn't anything, nothing to do with homosexuality. But I said, I'm just feeling like, you know, you're hiding something. I'm not understanding everything you're saying to me. Because when I was praying, I felt this, and I don't, I don't know how to put it right to you. And then he said, you know what? My name's really not Nick. He says, my name's really Rick, and I've been lying to you this whole time. I don't work for this company. I'm actually visiting out of town. And then right at that moment, I realized that I tried to add on to God's Word. God just told me it was deception. I should have just said to him, I feel you're being deceptive. That would have been even more powerful, amen, instead of me thinking he was gay. <laughs> the second thing is, now listen to this. We're talking about motives in the heart. Listen. I then said, the other word is guilt. And then he said, I'm going to be honest with you. My dad was a Pentecostal minister, and he used to beat my mother. 
That's why I don't believe in God. See, now we got to the heart of the matter. Then I said to him, I said, now if you want to feel God's presence, because you've tried, you said, for all this time and you can't. I said, here's how we do it. You start right now by forgiving your father, asking Jesus to take the pain, and I guarantee you right now on this street, you will feel Jesus. Eddie Berto will tell you the look that he had in his face. He was totally terrified, wasn't he? He said, I've never even told anybody these things out in the streets, especially not on the streets. He says, I don't know what to do. He kept fiddling. The long story short is that he didn't want to do it. He did not want to do it. You see, you can be preaching to people. They can be lying their face off. They can be hiding all types of junk in their heart. And you've got to learn to discern like how Jesus did. What is their motive? This man came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Immediately, Jesus knows he does not have the right motive. He's really not wanting to change who he is. And that's why the story is going to go on from there. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Now look at 26 through 28. He asked him, what is written in the law? The man replied, how do you read it? He answered, or rather, what is written in the law? Jesus uh, said, how do you read it? He answered again. Now the man says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So watch. He immediately says back to the guy, Hey man, you want to inherit eternal life. You know what you need to do. You need to love God and love people. Go and do this. Now, right there, it should have been it, right? The man should have been able to say, hey, okay, man, I'm going to do that. I came here with a pure heart. I really wanted to know what I had to do. I, I uh, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't know it as clearly as I do now. I remember hearing that in Sunday school, whatever. I'm going to do that. But he doesn't. Keep on reading. Look what happens next. But he wanted to justify himself, verse 29. So he asked Jesus... Who is my neighbor? Now, just learn the lesson. There's two lessons here. Two lessons. The first one is you're learning how to preach like Jesus did right now. You understand this? Jesus is actually preaching to a man, heaven and hell, this is what it's about for you. And number two, you're going to learn the lesson about the Good Samaritan. You're going to learn about this. So take both of them at the same time. This man, when he originally came to Jesus, was a racist, wasn't he? Come on, somebody say amen. When he originally came to Jesus, he was a racist. He had things in his heart that he was hiding. When he was asking the question, what do I have to do to get to heaven? He wasn't really saying, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Because he didn't want to do what he had to do to get to heaven. He was trying to trick Jesus. He was trying to see if Jesus was going to give the wrong answer. He was going to try to see if he could confuse Jesus. Now, the lesson here that you and I need to learn about preaching the gospel is that when you are preaching the gospel and people are asking you questions or they're saying things, you need to understand what the motive is. What's behind the question? Why are they asking you? Well, you're preaching about heaven and hell. And they say, well, what about the children in Africa? What's the motive behind them asking you that? 
Do they really want to know about the children in Africa? Or are they trying to hide their rebellion towards God? And they want to try to find an excuse to hide in that rebellion. Did this man really want to love God and love people? No, he didn't. He wanted to remain a racist. So now he says, who's my neighbor, Jesus? If you're really asking me to keep this law, now tell me who my neighbor is. And what Jesus does is he gives him a parable to teach him who his neighbor is. What you need to do when you're preaching the gospel and people start rebutting you, you need to find the motive of their heart and you need to be able to give them examples that are so to the point they cannot deny it. That's why when Jesus is going to teach him who his neighbor, neighbor is, he picks the Samaritan. He puts it right in their face, just like talking to your niece. When she wanted to know who she was before God, I showed her she was a liar, a child of the devil, an enemy of God, and a God-hater. Amen? Give them an example. So somebody wants to say to you, well, what must I do to go to heaven then? Do I have to go to church and do all this? No. you got to be born again. you got to live for Jesus. Well, what about the children in Africa? It's not about the children of Africa. Then say this. And they say, well, you know what? I go to church. And then say this to them. Say, does going to McDonald's make you a hamburger? And if they say no, then say, do you think going to church makes you born again? Then say, does going to a bank make you a millionaire? Hello? Come on, somebody. Does, does, does swimming in an Olympic pool make you an Olympiad swimmer? Does playing on a basketball court make you Michael Jordan? You understand? See, give them examples like that and move right on to the point. You see how, you see how clear it is? See, those things, bam, just put it right in people's mind. Say, hey, if I dunk a dog in a holy baptismal water, is it still a dog? Yeah. Say, it doesn't change it. I'll put you in water. don't change you either. The only thing that can change you is the Spirit of God inside of you. Amen? Now, that was the lesson on how Jesus preached. Now, I want to apply to you the lesson of how he loves people. Are you ready? Can you say amen? Now, listen to how Jesus talks to him about the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of the robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, what has happened here with people? People have been beaten up by the devil. The people that we're ministering to have been hurt by others. Their family have hurt themselves. This man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got overtaken by robbers. Nobody wakes up in the morning when they're five years old and say, one day I want to grow up and be addicted to cigarettes. Nobody grows up as a little girl, six years old, playing with Barbies, saying, hey, I want to have three different children by three different men. Nobody does that. What happens in life is the devil begins to destroy their life. I want to show you three ways right now that the devil, or the, rather how people are hurt. Number one is from the devil. Everybody say the devil. Oops. Give me some paper towels quickly, please. Go to John 10.10. 10. Everybody say the devil. I love showing this scripture to people. It says the thief comes only to what? 
So what is number one, the enemy of mankind? It's who? Thank you, sister. How many people is the devil trying to hurt right now? Just a few or everybody? How many people do you think have felt pain from the devil? So how many people do you think you're supposed to help get away from the devil? Amen. See, don't see the people today out at uh, Humble Park as the outside appears. Don't see the giggles, the laughs, the ride. You have no idea what's going on in their life. You have no idea what the devil has done to them. Why don't you go ahead and stand up for us, Zoila. Stand up for us. Look at Zoila. You've heard her testimony. She used to steal. She used to sell drugs, get in the fights. Now, if you saw this, this, this cute little girl right here, would you look at her and think that that's who she was? I know I never would have guessed it. So you could be looking out across this group of people. Thank you. You may be seated. You may be looking across, you know, these people at the humble part, and you might think to yourself, ah, you know what? They don't really get beat up by the devil. They probably don't have many problems in their life. They look so cool. They look like they're having so much fun. That's not true. Everybody you see out there has been afflicted by the devil in some way or another. Some people's stories will rock your world. Some of your stories rocked my world. Many of you have told me stories about child abuse. Some of you have told me stories about molestation and rape. Some of you have told me stories about abandonment and rejection. Well, we know that comes from the devil. Do you know how many more there are that are out there like that? We have to be ready to go help them. The first part of the story of the Good Samaritan, it says that this innocent man was walking and he was beaten up and hurt. We need to understand that innocent people, human race, is now being beaten up by the devil. We've got to help them. Everybody say love people. The second thing I want you to see is that sin, the choices of people will hurt them. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. People's own decisions will hurt them. Now it's not just what others have done to them. It's what they've done to themselves. I never was really hurt by people in life. But the devil used my own life to hurt me. I was never abused, molested, etc. But drugs and alcohol and perversion and anger, sin took over my life, hurt me. Like I said, when I first started doing drugs, I didn't say to myself, well, I'm going to drop out of high school one day so I can sell them. I didn't say I'm going to start stealing from my parents so that I can buy them. No, sin hurt me. Sin robbed me. Are you understanding this? Now, how many people do you think are being affected by sin in Humble Park right now? Come on. How many people do you think are being brought down and being just their life destroyed because of sin? Eddie Berto and I saw a young lady out there. Because of sin, she's on drugs. She chose the wrong friends. And here she is. Uh, out there right at the park, the corner of the park by the bus stop, saying that she lost her purse. And she, be, as we start to pray for her, she starts to manifest her demons. Right there. The very first person I witnessed to at Humboldt Park manifested demons. 
And her whole entire point was that people had told her she was ugly in life. And that's what she kept screaming about. And then she would talk about her purse. And then she would talk about this boyfriend cheated on her. But you could tell she had so much anger and she had so much hatred. But listen to me. It was what she allowed to happen to herself. Because she chose that lifestyle. Because she began to go out and do drugs. She began to hang out with the wrong friends. And Eddie Berto and I kept telling her, your friends are lying to you. This is not the right, this is not the truth. You're not, you're not hearing the truth. Let us pray for you. And then we began to pray for her. And I said, okay, now this is the part where you say, I forgive him. I'm going to let go of what he told me, his lies. And I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me. And she wouldn't do it. Think about how many people today are captured by the power of sin and need to be set free. You and I are there to set them free. Can you say amen? Look at James chapter 1, verse 14, and look how sin works. And many of you were, all of us were bamboozled by sin. Look at this. But each one is tempted when, by his own desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after his desire conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So how do we fall into sin? It starts with what? Temptation. I've had this example done many times, and I'll do it again. So, Ricky, stand up for me, please. You're, you're on display. It's just not here. Now do a little turn around and a little curtsy. Is that you call it a curtsy? Is it a little curtsy? Is this a curtsy? <laughs> now that does not turn me on. I'm being honest with you. Look at this. It says, but each one is tempted when by his own. Look at it, brother. Look at the word. By his own evil what? Desire. He is dragged away and enticed. When it comes to sin, you can never say the devil made me do it. I am not tempted with homosexuality. Some are because that's what they desire. But I'm not. I'm tempted with heterosexual sex. All those beautiful women out there, let's be honest, fellas, having their shorts up to here. How many of you had to guard your eyes? I've never even seen it that bad before. I thought I was like at the beach. I'm like, what is this? I'm wondering, like, when's it going to be in fashion for people just to walk around naked? Because, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I'm just sitting here going, I can't even look at half the people I'm witnessing to. I'm like witnessing to them like, hey, we wanted to tell you about Jesus. I can't even look at them. Hardly anything on wearing bras and, and, and just all types of stuff. Listen to me. I'm not going to tell you that that doesn't tempt me. It does. Because I have in my flesh as a man the evil desire for sex. Now God says within marriage it's blessed. But within Joe Wyrostic's flesh, this flesh I got from my mom and my dad, that is cursed with sin, desire sex. Every one of you have temptations to sin right here in your flesh you don't need the devil you don't need your friends around you just you by yourself you will tempt yourself listen to me that's why you got to be born again and be led by the spirit and not by your flesh because it says first you're tempted and enticed then after desire conceived it gives birth to sin so you might say, oh, pastor's nasty. Oh, look at pastor. He said that he's tempted by seeing that stuff out there. No, because the Bible says if I do not give in to that desire, and desire is both mental and physical, then I'm not sinning. I'm just fighting temptation. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. You all know that, right? 
Jesus faced temptation. Just because I have the temptation go through my mind, oh, look at that girl again. Oh, she looks good. Just because that goes through my mind does not mean I have to do it. You understand? Now put it on the people you're preaching to. How many know the people you're preaching to have no clue how to fight temptation? They just give in to any temptation they want. Every guy out there right now, we're talking specifically about lust, man. They're having a good time, aren't they? I mean, they get, and all those policemen too, you know they're doing it, right, brother? I mean, they're just sitting out there, oh, look at that one. Look at that one. Oh, look at that one. And we got to go out there and teach them. You're doing that. You're giving in to sin. And with sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death. So the number one enemy we have is the devil. Number two is sin. And number three is what other people can do. Now people can't hurt us. People can't hurt them. 2 Timothy 4.14 When a guy gets jumped by a gang member, it's not the devil and it's not sin. It's actually a person's fist hitting them in the face. When people were hurting their families, it wasn't just the sin and the devil. It was actually a person hurting you, a mother abandoning you. You are abandoning them. Hello, somebody. Can you say amen? So people in life not only getting hurt by the devil, they're not only getting hurt by what they sin and what they do, by how they sin and what they do. They're also getting hurt then by people who are sinners being used of the devil. But literally people are hurting them. Look at 2 Timothy 4.14. This is Paul talking. Paul said, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. Even Paul the Apostle, telling his spiritual son Timothy, he said, man, this guy Alexander, man, man, he messed me up, man. He hurt me. A great deal of harm. How many people do you think in Humble Park today, they wouldn't say it as cute as that, <laughs> They would probably say it like the woman that we were talking to, saying that mother effer did all this effing stuff to me. But how many people would say, there's a lot of people saying there's been a great deal of harm done to them by somebody. How many of you would think somebody out there today is hurting because of what somebody did to them? How many believe that? Come on, can't you say amen. How many know that there's somebody out there right now that is saying, this person did this crap to me and my life is worse because of it? Now, put it in the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says this man is walking, and he's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets robbed. That's where he is. Now, keep going in the story. A priest happened to go down the road. This is Luke 10, 31. I'll give you a chance to catch up. A priest went down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed by to the other side. Now, I just got to stop there and tell you, this is what most priests are doing today. Think about that. It said, when the priest saw him, now where was this man going? From Jerusalem to Jericho. Or was it from Jericho to Jerusalem? Which way? Okay, I was right. You know, you know what type of person he was? He was a Jew. You know what type of person a priest is? Is a Jew. But the Bible says because this man was bloody, because he was hurt, the priest didn't want to get his hands dirty. The priest did not want to waste his time. The priest had important business to do. And you know what he does? Passes by on the other side. How many churches right here are looking the other way? 
Come on, somebody. How many churches are looking the other way towards the hurt that the devil's caused, towards the hurt that sin has caused, and the hurt that others have caused? How many churches? This is not talking about just people in the church. This is right now the priest. How many pastors and churches are looking the other way? How many are looking the other way towards high schools and teenagers and young adults? How many are looking the other way towards the inner city and towards the pain of our cities? How many are looking away? How many churches did you see handing out flyers and preaching the gospel like us at Humboldt Park? How many? We were one of only three. The other two had done something and then they went home. So at the time we were out there, we were the only group. Now let me ask you a question. If I took a compass and made Humble Park the center and took a three-mile circle and drew it around there, how many churches would be three miles from Humble Park? How many? And I'm not even talking about Catholic churches and Presbyterian churches. I'm talking about all these other storefront churches. I'm talking about all these non-denominational churches. I'm talking about all these big churches. All these churches that boast about their pastor's car. How they boast about their choir. Where are they? Where are they? Passing on the other side. That's why today I don't care if there's two of you. I'm not going to treat you like there's two of you. I'm going to preach to you like an army. Because I prophesy to this church, we will be an army of God. And we will see Him conquer the devil's work in our city. And listen to me. If you get upset, if you don't like it, if you think I push and drive too hard, if when you see me rebuke those that weren't here, you get upset, tough luck, get out the door, find another church. Because this is what we're about. When my wife took off time to come here to work, we gave the whole church two months' notice to get here. We sure enough not in hell or in heaven or on this earth going to pass by anybody. We will walk to them. You will never find me pass by. Your pastor will not pass by. Not in heaven, hell, or on earth. There ain't never a time when it will happen. As long as I have flesh on the bones of this body and I have a soul inside of me, I will preach to everyone in this church will do the same. It's a deal breaker. You don't want to do it? That's, t- that's tough. Everybody listen to me. Now we're going to be gracious. We're going to help the rest of them out. I'm not going to be mad at you. Listen to me. But I'm telling you right now, this is what your pastor will do. And I don't care what excuse anybody makes. I could care less what the other church says. I don't even want to hear excuses from my people. There's no excuse. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me anything. You're just going through the Bible class three more times. That's it. Amen? I said, you're just going through the Bible class three more times. Amen? That's it. I ain't got nothing more to say. That's it. You're going through it three more times. I don't care how many times they go through it over and over and over again. People in our church are going to learn respect and responsibility towards the things of God. And every one of you here sitting in the first two rows, remember I said this, because next year will be the whole church. I mean, this old building, like, you know, there'll be a hundred of us. Because everything we do grows. And one person gets mad and upset, God sends ten more in their place. Amen? That's just the way it is. I'm not going to be that person. You cannot be that person. Now, you may not be that priest. You may not be in charge of a church like I am. But you have a choice of what you do. Now look at the next one. So to a Levite. Now a Levite's just a holy man. See, now that could be y'all. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. I was talking to a pastor that we were going to put on the back of the Latino flyers. And I said to him, man, do you want to come out here with us? 
You know, he's about two blocks, whatever, half a mile from Humble Park, Latino church, Puerto Rican. I don't get it. The devil's a liar. Amen. He doesn't want to go out there. I'm asking him if he wants us to put his information on 10,000 flyers. He don't want to do it. So I sit down and talk with him, and he tells me he's going to go out there Tuesday. He says, that's the Christian day. That's when I go out there. I said, man, the devil will make a fool out of you. Man, these, pro- these people had no problem helping each other. I'm sure if that priest saw another priest, he would have helped him. If that Levite would have saw his buddy, the other Levite, he would have helped him. But what he sees is some poor Jewish man just beaten, bloody. They don't even know him. They don't care about him. When are we going to start caring about other people? I'm asking you that. When? When are you going to start caring about other people? When are you going to go out of your way to help them instead of going out of your way to avoid them? When? When will Metro Praise be known not just for the youth that come, but for the adults that come to do outreaches like this? Because the adults are tired of being selfish about me, myself, and I, and their little 40-hour-a-week job that they think if they can't go to it, the economy's going to fail. Oh, if I don't work, the economy's going to fail. I don't have any more vacation days left. Well, let me look at what you spent your vacation days on. Let me, let me just look with you here. Let me just look with you. What did you put your vacation days on? Hello? I mean, people think I'm retarded, I think, because they don't think I can put two and two together. We, we have a day. We had it set. We said get vacation days off. This is important to us. And adults want to look back at me saying, oh, well, I, I can't be here. One brother said, I have three weeks of vacation. Well, isn't that something? Three weeks of vacation, and you couldn't give God two days? And yet you want me to have sympathy and compassion. I didn't come to have compassion on you. I came to be that man's pastor, kick his butt, and say, get out there and preach the gospel. Amen. I'm telling you what it's about. I'm not crossing to the other side. I'm tired of people making excuses why they're going to cross to the other side. This man, <clears throat> who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who's my neighbor? Oh, I just want to know, what's the least I have to do? What is the least I have to do so that I can go to heaven? Who really is my neighbor? What's the least I have to do? Are we related, Mina? Are we related? Do I have any family in New Orleans that you know of? Anybody from the Calio Projects? Anyone from the Melphamine, the Christopher Holmes? Then what was a white boy showing up in your neighborhood for? What was I doing with you? How did we ever get to meet each other? Because I said, I love the Christopher Holmes. That's where she's from, the Christopher Holmes. Now, y'all want to go to heaven with your retirement, and you want to go to heaven with your little, your little 401k? That's what I'm going to heaven with. What you going to heaven with? Come on. You want to go to heaven with your 401k? You want to go to heaven with your Florida house? Come on. That's what I'm going to heaven with right there. And I'm taking a whole lot more with me. It's tight, but it's right. That it is right there. And there's so many more. How many more is there, Mina? There's a lot more. There's so many more. Who are you bringing to heaven with you? Who are you bringing with you? What are you going to do when you get up there? What are you going to talk about? 
You've seen the skits. You've seen the place. Many of you have been in the skits. You've been in the place. When are we going to decide? Instead of avoiding the problem, we're actually going to run to the problem. Can you say amen? Here's how we get away from the self-centered attitude that so many people have. We need to stop being prideful and self-centered. Oh, but pastor, I have two weeks vacation. I have three weeks vacation, but two days wasn't worth it for me. Pastor, I have to do this. I have to do that. Pastor, this came up. This came up. That came up. Well, you know what? Saturdays is the day I do my laundry. This and that, this and that. Pride, 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 pride. The middle letter of pride is I. Ask God what He wants you to do. Here's how we get rid of pride. Look at the word. Proverbs 19:17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will reward him for what he has done. If you want to be blessed, give to the poor. Verse 28 through 27, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them will receive many curses. Whether you see those curses on this earth or up in heaven, you will receive many curses if you have not taken care of the poor. Luke 14, 13 says, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. You know who did that? Jesus did that, but you know who did that? We know. Tisa and Jean. You know what they did at their wedding? They invited all the poor, the crippled, and the lame to their wedding to eat their banquet food. You say, well, that's just Africa. I just read a book. Bill Johnson, his church in California, another couple got married. They did the same thing. They sent out a bus before their wedding service to take in all the homeless that they could find and said, you're invited to a wedding. Just imagine this. I'm not saying everybody has to do it because we do have banquets where we do invite people. I'm just saying, just think about how radical this is. Just a normal couple. They're not in ministry. Just a normal couple. They said, when we have our wedding reception, we want the poor, the crippled, and the lame to come. So they sent around a bus that they just went out on the street saying, hey, man, you want to come to a wedding? There's going to be free food there. You can, you can come and eat as much as you want. It's going to be in a nice place. You can come. And imagine this, the reception hall, beautiful place, bride and groom. Everything was the same except they made enough room for about 100 extra people. I don't know how they served their food, but I just know it was a nice place. And here comes all these smelly people, all these alcoholics, all these strangers, only concerned about the food. But when the pastor did the wedding ceremony, he said, how many people want to get saved? And many of those people raised their hands and gave their life to Jesus. Because you know why? They cared about the poor. Come on, somebody. Are we just going to be that, that, that Jewish leader that says, who's my neighbor? What's the least I have to do to get away with it? Or am I going to do what God tells me to do and go out and look for poor people to help? Go out and look for the needy. Bring them to my banquets. Bring them to my most nicest thing I can have and take care of them. Look at 1 John three seventeen through 18. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know how many people told me they were coming here with their words? Oh, pastor, we're going to be there. Oh, pastor, we're going to come. Four churches that said they were coming here canceled this week. It's not the love he said to have. 
He didn't say just talk about what you're going to do. Yeah, I could preach this. Your pastor just preached a wonderful message, didn't he? Praise God. We need to love people. We need to take care of people. Well, let me tell you where the rubber meets the road. In about two hours, I'm going to be smack dab in the middle of Bariquaville, preaching my little heart out till three in the morning, until I can't preach anymore. That's it. Enough talk. It's done. I said what I had to say. Put down the mic and let's roll. It's time to do it. That's it. So your pastor's not even just here to, to try to get a good preach on, to have a good experience. Buck and jerk. I feel Jesus now. I am ready, though. But, but you know, it ain't even just about that. Today, the rubber beats the road. Five of you show up. Ten of you show up. A hundred show up. Your pastor will do the same thing. You know why? Because I have material possessions. I have a good credit. I have money. I have abilities in this church. And we are going to have pity on people. This man was taken by robbers. And Jesus said, a priest came by, crossed the other side. A Levi came by, crossed the other side. You and I better go where he, they are. Amen? Find where they are. Can you say amen? But a Samaritan. But a pastor of a congregation of 20 people. <laughs> but a crazy guy that just got saved. Two weeks ago. But a teenager who got out of school early so he could come out. A young girl from a broken family. A businessman, police officer, said, I'll do it. I'll stop. The most unlikely of persons. The most unlikely one you would think would do it is the one doing it. I just, I just dare somebody to ask me what type of pastor they think I am in shorts out there. Because I'm going to tell them who their pastor is showing up. Amen? I, I mean, I'm just going to have to do it in love, though. But I just want to see one person try to check us. Oh, what type of church do you think you are? I'm going to say your church is full of the devil and tell your priest and pastor I told them that. Amen? I like to see somebody try to try that. I mean, the devil's just probably like demons. Leave that one alone. Because... If we get that one stirred up, the whole thing's going down. You understand? It's the most least likely one. I mean, you would think, come on, let's just think together. Can we all just think for a minute? I don't mean that sarcastic. Let's just think for a minute. There are churches that have paid staff members. Paid pastor getting 60000 a year. Paid youth pastor getting 50000 a year. Paid associate pastor. Paid worship pastor. Paid children's pastor. Y'all who haven't been around church for long, I mean, this is not actually a big deal. I mean, four and five pastors on staff is actually kind of normal, even for a church of a couple hundred. Paid just assistant of the assistant pastor. I'm telling you, all paid. They're all paid. Offices. Got, got little plaques with their name on it. Pastor so-and-so. Some of them even have outreach pastors. Let's just think to ourselves. If these people are paid to be pastors, and they're paid right now, they're getting paid, this is their job, they're showing up just like I am, why aren't they out there? Why are we struggling to get our little sound system out there and a little old truck, and we're going to have our guy who's a worship leader plus a contractor our keyboarders, who's plus and nurse, and we're going we're gonna to drag out there everything we got 
to do it. Where's the other one that got paid? The Bible says he's a hireling. That means he doesn't care for the sheep. He's just a nine-to-fiver. Amen? And he wants to look cute and cuddly, and he wants to pretend that he cares about the sheep, but the first sign of danger, he's out of there. Not here. Amen? The Bible says this Samaritan came, the one you least thought would do it. As he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. That's all we got to do. We just got to love people. Just love them. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to try to explain how the world came to be the way it is. You know, you don't have to try to explain creation versus evolution. You don't have to explain all the 66 books of the Bible, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the wheel within the wheel of Ezekiel, how Cain got his wife. You don't have to explain any of that. Just find somebody today that's been beat up by the devil, beat up by sin, and beat up by others, and love on them and take pity on them. If you teenagers find it more difficult to do that with adults than young people, then find teenagers. Find children. Love on them. Adults, let's get out with the adults. There's no excuse why we can't do that. But also find teenagers and love on them. I don't care who it is. I'm not judging this outreach by numbers. I'm judging this outreach on God's presence and the love He pours through us. That's how I'm judging this outreach. We've been feeling God's presence so strong in our meetings. We've been feeling God so powerfully out there. And yes, people have been getting saved. Lives have been getting changed. But it's because we're taking pity on people. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. That means he took care of them. Eddie Berto, were we taking care of that man last night? Did we take care of that young lady by the bus stop? We took care of him, right? Now, they may not have wanted to become a Christian, but we, we took care of them. Amen? That's all we are there to do. We're just going to love on people. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. He took care of him. Now look what Jesus goes on to say. He healed the hurts of the people. Take a co-worker out for lunch. Here's how you can apply it to your life. Help in the youth ministry. Go to a high school and hand out flyers. Visit a nursing home. Take time to feed and talk to the homeless. Volunteer at Teen Challenge. Start a street ministry. Visit orphans and foster kids. Bring people to church. Work with the children. Go to Bodiqua Fest. Hand out hot dogs. 10, 25 through 37, uh, 35 rather says, The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. See, it cost him something. Why are we doing offerings here? Because this is what our money goes to, people. You know, this is what it goes to. Everything here goes to the outreach. He took out two silver coins. There it is. And gave it to the innkeeper. We've got to give it to Menards. We've got to give it to Aldi's. We've got to give it to the things around us so we can take care of the people. Amen? Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He empowered the people to grow. Now, this is the last part. Everybody pay attention here. Don't miss this. Let's review. You've got to see the hurts of the people. Who's hurting them? The devil, sin, and others. Number two, don't be prideful and self-centered. Don't cross to the other side. Go to where they are. Help the poor. Invite them to your banquets. Amen? Invite them to your houses. Number three, heal the hurts of people. How do we heal the hurts of people? By giving to them, by taking care of them, by having pity on them. What do they need? 
We don't just give away money. We give away things that they need. Do they need a bus ride? We're going to give them a bus ride. Do they need a, a transportation? Do they need us to help babysit? Do they need, you know, just somebody to love on them? Do they need us to pray for them? Take them out to lunch, whatever. We're going to take care of them. Amen? And then lastly, now we're going to let them grow. Just like all of you here now, you came here, most of you, with hurt in your life. And God has healed your hurt through the ministry here. And now you're going to heal other people's hurts. It's because we've allowed you to grow. And now we're teaching you how to help others. And now it's your turn. And so what do we do? We let them grow. It says, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the neighbors? A robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Which pastor you think, and I'm not trying to build myself up. I'm not those pastors that love people. I'm just saying. But what pastor do you think loves Humble Park and the Puerto Rican community? The one that goes out there and helps them. Which pastor do you think loves this neighborhood that we're in? The pastor that goes out there and helps them. What pastor do you think it is that loves Ohio Park? The one that helps them. Now think of this. What Christian is the Christian that loves the Puerto Rican community? I don't care how many times you say you love the Puerto Rican people. I don't care how many times you say it. doesn't mean nothing to me. I don't care how many flags you wave. I don't care how many times you go to Christian Day at Puerto Rican Fest. We'll know that you love Puerto Rican people by the mercy you have on them. Oh, yeah. You'll ask Mina right now. I loved her more than almost every African-American pastor in that whole entire community. Is that true? Did you even know, other than Pastor Orlando, the one that I hooked you up with, other than him, did you even know of any other African-American black pastors that came out in those neighborhoods? Didn't even know of any. Remember uh, Bishop Wiley's church right next to uh, Chris? Did he ever come over there? Who's the one that loves the black community? It's the one that's there. Yeah, this gringo loves the Puerto Rican community more than those guys speaking Spanish up in their Pentecostal churches, up in those churches all day long. Why? Because I'm out there. Now, how do I know that members, how do I know that members, how do I know that members, elders, deacons, hello, youth leaders, dance and drama leaders, how do I know that they love Chicago, they love Puerto Ricans, they love the city? By those who are out there. By those who come. I believe that. Now, let's love some people. Let's love them. I want everyone just right now just to close their eyes with me. Just begin to pray. Father God, help us love people. Rachel, would you just come on the keyboard, please? Help us love people. First of all, Lord, i got to start by loving people that don't know how to love people. Help me love my elders and deacons and 201 class that didn't know how to obey orders. Help me love them, Jesus. Help me love the pastors of this city that told me they love this community, want me to learn Spanish, etc., etc., but yet can't even show up out there. Help me love them. And now, Jesus, help all of us. Help all of us love the people we see out there today. Jesus. We're not better than them. We're not better than them, Jesus. We're the same as them. It's just we've been saved. Oh, God, I pray that you will just give us a heart of compassion and mercy. 
God, we're going to preach the truth. We'll rebuke. We'll correct. We'll encourage. But God, we want to help them. Tisa and Jean taught us when they came here, Lord, your heart about servanthood and giving. They taught us when they go on the mission field that what love looks like, love looks like medicine to a sick child. Love looks like a cup of, a bowl of soup to a hungry family. You taught us through our missionaries that love looks like whenever we meet the needs of hurting people. So today as we begin to give out hot dogs and rice and all these things to the people, Lord, let it be love to them. As we do face painting with the children, because we know the children, many of them do not have love in their home. Let it be love to them. Father God, when we preach and we share the gospel message, let it come across as love. Let it come across as love, not judgment, not condemnation, even though it will come with conviction. But let it come with love. God, whatever it takes... That's what we want to do. Whatever it takes. Just let the Lord know that's your desire today. Whatever it takes, sweet Jesus. Whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. missionaries work with said I just came to play in the dirt with God's kids she has her PhD she could have done so many other things in life but she said I just wanted to play in the dirt with God's kids when they introduce her as a great woman by the way she you know she's obviously a woman who has started over 5,000 churches in Mozambique. They say all these great things about her. She comes up to the front. She says, I'm just a pastor in the dirt. I'm just a pastor in the dirt. I just decided to go where the need was the greatest. That's the harvest that she reaped because she went there with her family Took them out of our, you know, the private schools of America. Brought them over there. Had to homeschool them. Now that's the gospel, friends. Now there's no two gospels in the Bible. There's only one. Now we preach the gospel here the same way they do. And if you flew over to Africa for your little five-day mission trip, they wouldn't let you go back home and work and come back. They wouldn't let you clack out a little early because you're tired. Matter of fact, I was talking to Tisa, and she says, 
every mission trip that they have there, they have a whole plan to deal with the American complainers. They have this little system they go through. You know, kind of like how we watch reality shows. You know, and there's always that complainer, and they'll put them on the island by themselves or something. They spot out the ones that came there self-centered, all about themselves. They'll let them sleep a little longer. You know, they'll try to take care of them. But they say there's, there's just always a handful of them in every bunch that are just so pathetically self-absorbed that they actually thought when they came out to Africa it was still going to be about them. And they actually have to correct the people out there. I, I just, not surprised by it, but I just was just shocked as well. I was just shocked in the fact that I just can't believe how pathetic so many of our Christians are. And then number two, I, I, I'm not surprised in the sense that, you know, they're not changing because I see it every day. I don't get it. Your pastor does not get it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. People said, Joe, when you get married, you'll change. Well, I've been married three years, haven't changed one bit. People say, well, when you get kids, you'll change. I'm going to have kids, my friends, and I'm not going to change. Hallelujah. Jesus, help us. I just think some of you right now just don't believe you're that one, and I think you're the exact one I'm talking about. You are that one. If you had any idea how many times I've had to rebuke our elders and deacons in our 201 class over evangelism, I could not count it on my hands and my toes. And I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for the church that God told me I would at least have in my core group. I don't even have my core group yet. Because the ones I want to run with get off work to do these things. The ones that I want to run with are the ones that are man enough and woman enough to support this. So for those of you adults that are here, David and Ricky and Rachel and Anita and Annette, I want you to listen to me. Your pastor is not even satisfied with the ones he has let alone saying, I can handle 12, 15, uh, 24 more. Because I'm not even satisfied with the ones I have as adults. We are not doing this. And I don't care how you excuse it. I don't care how you justify it. I don't care how you put it in your mind. You have to make a decision, and I'll help make it for you right now if you need my help. It's one of two things. Either your pastor is wrong, he's wrong. And you need to leave the church because he's just crazy and he's never going to change. He's wrong. Or number two, you're wrong and you need to change. You're wrong. That's it. That's it. It's either I'm wrong and you need to go and you need to take your buddies with you, take your 401k with you, or you need to change. That's it. Your buddies need to change. Your friends need to change. That's it. That's the only way it is. It's either I'm wrong and I'm going to have a, a lot less people Sunday until we fill them more up with lost people, or you're going to change. That's the bottom line. And I guarantee you this, and I stake everything I have and everything I know, 
that I am not wrong. I am not wrong. I know what Jesus told me to do. I know what He said to do. And I've seen it bear fruit my entire life. Now you got to change. And it starts with the adults, and then it moves down to the kids. I'm telling you, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to just prophesy over our church this way. Either the adults that you call your buddies are going to come and fill this place and be the adults, or the kids that are sitting here now will then become the adults. Either way, there will be adults that lead the charge in these events. And I'm just the pastor that's willing to wait. There are a lot of things that I'm impatient with. There's a lot of things that, that I'm frustrated with in life. And sometimes, you know, I want my, my happy meal quick, etc. But there's one thing that I will not give up on. That is a church and what it takes to build it. I am the most stubborn, uh, bullheaded, strong-willed person you will ever meet when it comes to the things of God. I will not give up. People who have known me for over 10 plus years have said you are the most consistent person I've ever met on the things you believe in. You never change. You've been preaching holiness since you first got saved. You've been preaching evangelism. Some people, when they first got saved, they run on the streets and did evangelism. You've been doing it for over 10 years now, 13 years. Some people said they were going to plant churches in the city after, you know, they couldn't do it. After one or two times, they took churches in the suburbs. Now they're making money with their homes. Now they're doing fine. But you're the only one out of my Bible college, out of my Bible college, I'm the only one still planting with what I got a degree in, urban church planting. I am the only one. I'm the only urban church planter out of my Bible college right now. Jesus, I'm telling you, I won't change. If God is with us, this is the way we go. You need to change. And young people, that doesn't give you an excuse to disrespect your family, to disrespect the adults of this church, or to give yourself a pride because you don't have the responsibility they have yet to give it all up yet. All I can ask you to do is to pray for your parents, pray for the adults, that they will do what they need to do with the grace God has given them. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Now let's just all come to the front. Let's pray for the lost now. If you've made a decision to do what it takes, I trust that you have. Let us all now just pray for the lost. It's not about us anymore. It's about them. Let's just take time to pray and ask God to give us a heart for them. Jesus, break our hearts. Break our hearts today, Jesus.